Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi, folks. I'm Amy Wright. Thanks for listening to the Insights Podcast by Diddy TV, where we offer behind-the-scenes interviews with musicians, producers, engineers, and other various and vital contributors to the world of music. Our guest on the show today is John Foreman, an artist that's always searching for something, searching for a lyric or a melody, searching for a connection or acceptance. For John Foreman, most importantly, he's searching for beauty and truth, and it's out of this search that his latest release, Departures, was born. Though he's most known as the leader of the multi-platinum-selling Grammy Award-winning band Switchfoot, his solo album, Departures, serves as the latest chapter in a lifelong search for light in the dark moments. Please welcome John Foreman. John, welcome to Diddy TV. Hello, hello. What's up and where are you? I am home sweet home in San Diego, California. This is our studio. It is um, a submarine of sorts. This is our portal into the internet. And uh, yeah, this has become where we, where, we, where we connect with the rest of the world. How is it in the rest of the world? How is Memphis? Memphis is good. Memphis is one of those cities that kind of cooks along in the middle. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's not these extreme highs and extreme lows. Everyone is making a living. And when they're kind of thrown for a loop, they just kind of plod forward and come out the other end of it. But uh, because they weren't living a high or living a low, everything is sort of the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I love Memphis. It's a good, good spot. Yeah, it is. It is. Good, really good people and super creative. We love being here. It's really fun. You said you recorded an album at Ardent at one point. I um, did, We recorded a, a couple songs late at night one time. They, they said, hey, we saw you guys were in town. Come over to the studio and, and it's yours. And it's a legendary place. You know, so many amazing albums have been cut there. And so, yeah, of course. When in Rome. When in Memphis, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's such a cool place, Ardent. And we, we have a few iconic studios here. And when you walk in, you just feel the vibe of everyone that has been there before you creating albums. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very cool thing, for sure. Music has that way where you can walk into a space. I've noticed that, especially when a, a band is playing live. You'll hear the opener and you'll think, oh, this is this kind of a room. And then... Maybe the second band goes on and they're different and you think, oh, no, no, the room is transformed. You know, we're, we're in a different spot. You know, music has that amazing power to just change the atmosphere. Well, my husband, Ronnie, and I, we get out to San Diego quite a bit because his family's from, from there. He was raised in California and he spent a good bit of time in San Diego after he got out of college. And um, I have to ask, have you uh, spent much time at the Belly Up? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> not far from where I am now. I can uh, ride my bike there from my house, and it is that's a good spot. It's the perfect size club, you know. I think it's, you know, 300 people. It's all wood. There's all sorts of weird vantage points you can watch from all over. It's, it's a wonderful spot. 
Yeah, a lot of good good memories from the belly up and um, just a really cool area in general. And you grew up in California, right? And you spent a little bit of time on the East Coast, but mostly California? Yeah, so I was born here, moved to Boston when I was five. And, um, you know, prime soccer, baseball years up through when I was like 12. So love the Red Sox because of that. Sorry, any Yankees fans, you're just wrong. <laughs> um, sorry, not sorry. Then moved to Virginia and Virginia Beach um, and kind of felt like I got a little taste of the South and then moved back to a different form of South, Southern California, back to San Diego. Yeah, back to the South that has be- better weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I still say y'all, you know, y'all uh-huh. is, is hard to lose. It's, in Spanish, they got the vosotros form. In English, we got y'all, you know. So when did you start playing guitar? Were you out east in Boston and or were you already back in California? Yeah, so I grew up, um, there were always, you know, there's a piano and guitars laying around. My parents both played guitar and piano and, and so it, it felt like it was just a part of what you did growing up. Um, music was just around. And so I, I, I didn't really take it seriously until I heard Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin um, and Tom Curran, who's a pro surfer, those were my junior high uh, loves, right? Where I, I had the posters on the wall. And, and so in junior high, I started surfing a ton and started my brother and I, we, we started a Led Zeppelin cover band. So that's that's always a good way to start. I, I think it's it's a great time to play Zeppelin because your voice hasn't changed yet. So you can still hit the high notes, you know. That is so true. That is so true. How many people can hit those notes after their voice changes? Very few. Right? Yeah. Yep. That's That's perfect. And I know you're a big surfer. So you started the band Switchfoot. And Switchfoot is a surfing term, right? That's correct. For people that aren't near the ocean, maybe snowboarders or skateboarders would know, but um, going fakey or putting a different foot forward than you normally would, um, switch foot, which in surfing is not as functional as in other board sports. In surfing, it's kind of a novelty and you kind of, you know, it's it's tongue in cheek, you know, but some guys are pretty good at it. But we, we like the idea that it's, it's bringing a little bit of the coast with us and it's this idea that throughout our career, especially at the beginning, um, but even now, it, we didn't really ever fit in. So Switchfoot feels appropriate. You've had a really very interesting musical career. Was there ever a point when you when you were younger where you had to choose between going down a path of, say, being a professional surfer versus being a musician or did you ever think that way? So both of these were never career paths. I mean, in my head, surfing was something that you did after school, you know, playing Led Zeppelin covers, did that on the weekend. Um, But the goal was always to graduate college and get a real job. And it wasn't until we had come out with, I put a, you know, I put out a CD in high school where I saved all my busboy money for the the, the chance to record a CD, but that's how I viewed it was as this incredible thing that I would pour time and money and energy into, not something that I ever, you know, 
pay rent with it. And so it wasn't until our third or fourth CD as a band with Switchfoot that I said, you know what, I want to give this a shot. I'm going to drop out of college and really see what I can do with music. And the professors, I mean, this is back in the days before the internet was so prevalent. I mean, now everyone's taking classes from home, you know, last few years especially. Um, but back in those days, the professor would be like, here's the day of the exam. I'd be like, I've got a show in Memphis. Can I, what, what can we do, you know? And they weren't as, as uh, forgiving back then. It is amazing how our world has completely changed. Everything was tied to a brick and mortar, and now you can do anything from anywhere, it seems. Exactly, yeah. So you started Switchfoot, and your first album was with Rethink Records, which I think it's fun because the new album, Departures, is back with the same record label. And then you put out a few, like two or three albums with them, and then what happened there? Because they got bought, right, by another bigger label. Yeah, yeah bigger fish, you know, right? Um, but it's funny because I, I think we've had so many different um, contracts, record contracts with different people through the years. And you realize um, the, the logo on the back means so little compared to the people that you're working with every day, you know? And, and so that's the logo on the back. We think is really cool that it's the same as, as the first label that we ever signed to, which is out of Tennessee, by the way. Um, but the cool thing is that the guy that, that helped um, get assigned for, for this particular project is my friend, this guy that I've been working with from the beginning of, of the, the whole solo career, like when I first started making EPs. Um, he's been with me all along, Chris York. So that I, I love it, like the people that you get, to, these friendships that you have for years and years and years, decades. So you, you start off and you put out a few albums and then you actually um, got signed to a major label, was Columbia, right? And was, was, yeah. that, was that a palpable change from being at a smaller label just in every way or was it kind of the, the same? Well, you know, um, you grow up, you see Bob Dylan and Miles Davis records and all these albums that say Columbia on the back. And you think, Oh my gosh, we are officially, we've made it. We've made it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so we flew out to New York to play, um, a show for all the, the big important people out there. And like halfway through our second or third song, the president of the company walks out of the room saying, why did you sign this band? They're the worst. Get out. Like, what are we doing with these guys? Um, it was during a song called Dare You to Move. And he says, this is horrible. There's no future in it. There's no hit. And, and we walk off stage not knowing that. And um, we think, oh, man, that was great. It was our first show in new york city this is wonderful and the manager comes up to us and says no actually um you got you got dropped and so we ended up uh spending the rest of the year working with the the company red which is under under columbia basically like the little league farm team kind of thing and um for me, it was this 
this kind of this head check of like, okay, so why do you make music? Do you make music because of what other people think of it? Because if one person in their opinion can completely invalidate your reason for doing what you do, then maybe you need to change what you're doing or how you're approaching it. So um, long story short, we said, you know what? We, we, we still believe in these songs. We love this, this album. We think it's an amazing record that people want to, that they need to hear and we're going to go out and tour it. And, um, and then 2 million records later, that, that same guy that, that didn't hear any hits is shaking our hands saying, I told you, I believed in you all along. And, oh, man. You know, and, and you, yeah, you take the picture with him, but deep down you're like, whatever you say to me, I know what I think. And I think it was actually a really, it was a blessing in disguise to think that um, it was a good, good thing to have a head check that early on. It says, you know, the label does not matter. What's on the inside is what counts. Well, I think your music has always had that real positive feel to it. And was that always important to you, that, that you have those messages that get out there? For me, I see music as a place to wrestle with darkness. And um, I take that fight, that wrestle seriously, where I, I want to, even on the new record, Departures, I want to fully embrace the moment. Um, this was a year of death. This was a year of darkness. I two two family members passed away this year, and I'm not. That's not a unique story. Um, and yet, um, I. What do I do with those doubts and the darkness and the, the pain and the frustration? I think for me, music is a vehicle to get from one location to somewhere else. It's, it's kind of it's almost like a scaffolding for the soul for, for you to reach higher than, than where you're at. And I take full advantage of that. Um, and I have from the very beginning when I was a kid, when I first moved back to California, um, I I couldn't find any friends. I had a stuttering problem and music was the place where I would speak clearly. And I, I realized I could write a song about God, girls, sex, um, despair, um, anything, depression, and feel completely comfortable singing it for strangers. I mean, how amazing is that, that you can enunciate these things that feel like you can't talk about them. So I, I from the very beginning, that yearning for light has been present in our music. So is music a way for you to connect with people? Yeah, and I do feel like that connectivity is huge. The idea that, um, I don't know, for me, music is a deeply communal experience. Maybe from the beginning, you know, like uh, the punk rock shows in the backyard or wherever, where you're, you're sweating, bleeding, and awkward teenage self is like fist in the air screaming along with this this band there's a unity and a catharsis there that is hard to find any other place you know to that point you sort of reminded me reminded me of when i was in high school and i was going to see this band it was in a field and the there had been no rain for eons so it was a drought and when everyone started jumping up and down it made a big dust cloud <laughs> but it couldn't have been more fun like I still have this great memory of this because the music was great and the whole night was so cool but just to have all this dust kicking up 
around everybody was really wild, you know. But uh, those are those great experiences you have with other people and music. And I would say even the dust might have made it better. Yeah. Like it's a memory that is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. I love those spontaneous things. I did a, uh, I did 25 shows in 24 hours a few years back, and it was to release this, this project that I was working on. And it was one of those experiences where things that went right, things that went wrong, it all became a part of the evening. I mean, the whole day where I wouldn't trade the things that went wrong. I mean, it, it, those were the things that actually um, made the project that much more meaningful. Yeah, I was, I was actually watching some of that, and I thought I had to ask you, how you pulled that off and were you getting really tired towards the end of the 24 hours? Yeah. So we started at 11, I think, um, AM and we worked all the way through 11 the next morning and I was energized pretty much the whole time. But then like three o'clock in the morning, I, we were all feeling it. I mean, the beautiful thing is we played three different songs and, locations all around San Diego. So, you know, every time you start to feel tired, you'd, you'd have to play three songs. And, and there were, you know, wild spots with a mariachi band at a Mexican restaurant or at a wedding. And by the end of the night, there was this caravan of people that was just tagging along, people that might not even ever heard of my music before, but it became this, um, this kind of visceral communal experience that I was hoping for, which especially in 2020 and 2021 feels like what I celebrate about what music can do and that it brings people together. You know, I don't think it's, I think the, the, um, the uh, unrest that we're feeling as a nation, um, that it's, you know, so many things that we need to deal with as a nation, um, racial inequity and all of these things, and yet, um, some of the, the kind of just the binary politics that, that of people not seeing each other eye to eye, I wonder sometimes if it isn't in part from the fact that we are only communicating on these platforms that you can only spit out little things and you can't see each other face to face, you know. And I, because I, as a musician, I think about music and sports as these these places where you stand next to someone that you might disagree with. He might look different. He might vote different, smell different than you, whatever. But you're fist in the air. You're, you're high-fiving. You, you recognize the, the shared humanity. And I, I'm hoping that moving forward that those events can happen more often. We make a good point because both of those things are physical things we do together. And when you're physically with someone else, it's really harder to hate them. And... Now, I wonder sometimes with all of the communication that we have that's more electronic, it's much easier to be mean and it's much easier to think of someone um, as your enemy um, and not your friend because you don't really know Mm -hmm. them. It's this this electronic exchange or on paper or whatever you want to call it, but it isn't real. Yeah, you see some guy next to you. You see his humanity or girl, kid, whatever it is, you're like, oh, I see myself in that. You know, I, I know what that's like. And, and suddenly you're 
more reticent to demonize and dehumanize that, that person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, along the way, so you had Switchfoot, your band, and then tons of solo things you've done. And then you did a collaboration with Sean Watkins from Nickel Creek. So what is it about these all these different projects that you like? Is it just something new and different creatively? Yeah, so I feel like Switchfoot is kind of a megaphone. Um, and then the solo material is more confessional. It's really hard to be broken and honest when you're got a Les Paul and a half stack and a drummer <laughs> wailing away, you know. So I've always thought that the solo material is this, this chance to kind of um, whisper late at night and it's a lot more intimate. And then the fiction family stuff, that I, I've been talking with Sean again. Um, Nickel Creek's an amazing band, uh, bluegrass band, that they're actually working on a new project rumor has it and um we just became friends and had so many commonalities we met at a show that we played together and th- this may again makes me miss live music it was it was macy gray wilco uh nickel creek switchfoot and um rem all wow on the same corner of the world and and so yeah, I think, so Sean and I just started writing songs back and forth, and, and you know, two projects later, um, it was just a blast to, to make music. I think, again, that's the place where you find the commonality within within your shared humanity rather than the differences, and that's kind of where music thrives. Well, one thing that struck, struck me about your music is how many instruments you you incorporate tons and tons of different instruments that you don't always see in in rock. You know, everything from mandolins and sitars to piano and violins and cellos and everything. It's it seems like you you add in a lot of these elements. So I always I was thinking of you more as as a composer even than just a songwriter adding in all that instrumentation. You just start to get bored with the same six strings and you think I will man I got this friend who plays the cello. He's, he's got to play on this, you know. I think that, you know, I, I tend to see the world with eyes of wonder when I'm at my best. And I feel like wonder is the best approach when you begin to create art. I feel like when you wonder, um, when you look at the world with uncertainty and wonder, then you begin to say, I wonder what it would sound like if we, you know, had a flute on there instead of a cello or whatever it is. And, and sometimes your, your, uh, wondering can create cacophonous, horrible messes, you know, but as long as you're willing to fail and be okay with failure, it can also bring, bring you to these places where, um, you would have never gone otherwise, you know, and, I'm thinking of when I said flute, I had my friend Carl Denson uh, play a flute solo on one of my songs. And, you know, one of those things where I, I'm smiling just thinking about it because it brings me joy to, 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 to hear him playing on this track. So let's talk a little bit about Departures. It's your latest album. It just came out in February. Where did you record it? I recorded it right here um, in in San Diego, home sweet home. A lot of it was here at the studio. And then for a portion of the record, when 
um, California was pretty much locked down. Um, we, we ended up recording it at my house. Um, just, just there, uh, got a bunch of instruments there and, and it felt like this album departures was a, a very cathartic record to make, especially for the year we've had. I feel like it represents, um, you know, that darkness, but also longing for resolution, longing for completion. Were most of the songs written in 2020 or were some of them from years past? Yeah, most of the songs were from, from this year. And if there were songs from previous years, it would be um, judged by the criteria of how does it feel? You know, does it feel like 2020? <laughs> and for example, there's a song that I wrote years ago with Lauren Daigle and it was sitting on a hard drive and I was looking for something else and I stumbled across it on the hard drive and thought, oh my gosh, this song enunciates how I feel right now. I got to put it on this album. One of the songs, I think it was Side by Side, there's a line in there, we're as different as snowflakes that I thought was just a beautiful way of thinking about it because every snowflake is different. Yeah, I I think um, in this year especially, I've been trying to remind myself of you know, what we share, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Yes, we are completely different, you and I, um, but that there's a lot that we share. And how can I remind myself of that rather than responding with hatred or fear or frustration, anger? Um, how can I remind myself that, that we share a lot more than, than we have that's different? That line, the, the, that song ends with the line, Oh, the irony, friends and enemies will all be buried side by side. So whatever differences we have in this life, they'll be laid to rest eventually, whether we like it or not, you know, and trying to remember that while I'm alive to make amends before we're both buried side by side. It was inspired by a cemetery um, and thinking through like, wow, how many wars have been fought and, um, what are the wars we're fighting right now, you know, on a personal level or nationally, all of it. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting, interesting thought because you you go to visit a cemetery, for example, you see all these headstones and it's hard to not wonder who the person was or what their life was like. But when you think of it a little more granularly, which is that we all have angst in our life, we're arguing with someone, there's wars, there's happiness, there's sorrows, but in the end, you're all laying there side by side. And so all of that life is is in the past, and it really doesn't matter anymore. And so I think a lot of mm-hmm. times, you know, we don't take the time just to kind of take a deep breath and mm-hmm. say, is that really important? Or am I making mm-hmm. more of this than I need to make of this? You know, it, it was a, I thought it was a very interesting interesting concept I feel like there are several types of death that you can have um, certainly the when your heart stops and your brain waves stop there's there's that death but then there's little deaths that can happen and and ways that we we choose death over life in in, in friendships in in um, even in our own behaviors and I feel like sometimes, but like 
a lot of the songs on Departures might deal with the topic of death, but I think for me, it's this kind of embrace of the fact that we are finite beings and how does that make me value what I do have? And how does that make me value the people that I do have? Um, because it is that, that um, element of which death am I choosing? The, um, the, I, I'm choosing to die in, in little ways or big ways, you know, like is, where does this trajectory end up? And so I think a, a lot of the songs for me, although they're dealing with death, I don't find them to be morbid. I feel like they are in many ways hopeful saying, well, yes, death is an eventual fact. How will I embrace the now? Right. Will you choose to wake up happy every day or worried or anxious about what's next? And we can just choose to be happy and where we are, I think. But, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people live their life where they're always worried about the future and not just living in the moment. Yeah, there's, there's, I think kids are these amazing metronomes because uh, they don't obviously have any of the baggage that we do as adults. I have two little kids and they remind me of, of my age sometimes in beautiful ways. Um, I surf every day. I feel young. And then I look at my daughter who's nine and I think, oh my gosh. She's nine. I have a nine-year-old daughter, you know. Um, and at the same time, she is embracing the moment in ways that, that I need to learn and watch her and go, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I love how kids will just stop and look at ants for, for a while. And, I mean, how to be that present to just say, wow, I'm just going to stop here for a moment and, and observe what's happening. But it just takes so much present and it's, it's a beautiful thing it is a beautiful thing i think people could learn a lot from kids because they do their world is so small compared to ours once we get become adults everything is there's so much noise in it i should say that it's hard to take that time but i really really enjoyed listening to the album and i know other people will as well and i want to thank you for stopping by and talking to us today uh, departures great album and uh, it was great talking with you, John. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope to see Memphis sooner than later. Come see us. Come see us. We'll give All you right. a studio tour, play a few tunes. Come on. Let's All do right. it. Let's yeah. do it. Well, you're welcome <laughs> in my studio anytime. Hey, I'm going to take you up on that. We get out your way. <laughs> we'll go surfing. Come on. Let's go. I'm in. I'm in. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with John Foreman. Don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.